Hello and welcome to At Home With, a podcast from the residential business at Knight Frank. At Home With offers a glimpse inside the lives of some of the world's foremost property experts and their clients. And every week you'll be hearing conversations with interesting people from across the world about how they made it to where they are today, how they found their dream homes and how we can help you find yours. I'm your host, journalist and social media executive at Knight Frank, Rebecca Hills. Today I'm joined by Edward Douglas Hume, head of Scotland Residential. Edward and I had a hugely interesting conversation about how the property market in Edinburgh and Scotland more generally is faring at the moment, why he decided to make the move from London to Edinburgh and why he's so passionate about the city. Edward graduated from the University of Edinburgh in 2003 with a Master's in History of Art. Since then, Edward has pursued a long and successful career in real estate, having been with our Edinburgh office since 2011. Edward now manages our Scottish residential division working alongside our other teams, especially on the rural side of the business. Edward, it's a pleasure to welcome you onto the podcast. Thank you for having me. How are you today? How have things been since the world started getting back to normal? Well, the last few months have been uh, remarkable. Having come out of lockdown a little bit later than England, uh, we came back to business at the beginning of July, really. And it was phenomenally busy and uh, unlike any market I've ever known in Edinburgh. Um, And it has remained like that really ever since, certainly right through July, August and September. Um, We were busier than I've ever known the market and um, saw a lot of uh, kind of competitive bids, lots of stock coming to the market, but mainly the demand was what was so unbelievably surprising. Um, I don't think we've, as I said, experienced anything like it uh, before. Um, Lockdown seemed to have provided uh, people with a lot of time to think and uh, reassess what they wanted from a home. And um, they all wanted to do things at the same time uh, straight after the restrictions were eased. So yes, the busiest three months I can ever remember. Um, And uh, I suppose now it's just starting to to return to more normal levels. We are not in a full lockdown in Scotland um, in the same way as in England. Uh, but new restrictions have been gradually being imposed. So we're definitely seeing it just return to slightly more kind of moderate levels, slightly slightly more normal trading conditions, less stock coming to the market, but still plenty of demand there for the right thing. And how have things been kind of from a personal life perspective? How have you found balancing working from home, kind of educa- educating your kids from home, just doing everything in the same four walls all the time? Yes. So we've had we've had greater restrictions imposed on us for long for more recently for longer. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean it's been all right. I think it is it is tougher for some people than for others. Um because I think particularly if you're maybe in your twenties and your whole social life is very much about going out to bars and restaurants and things. That's been really tough because a lot of people say that we work with live on their own and now they can't have people into their houses, nor can they meet people out of their houses and haven't been able to for a few weeks here and whereas I suppose I'm at the stage of life where I've got a wife and two children so my life feels quite busy anyway my kids are still going to school and yes it's a shame not be able to to see friends and stuff in the same way as normal but life feels vaguely normal but so I think it does impact people differently depending on what stage you're at. And have you noticed um, a particular increase in interest in people moving out to the country or people looking to move to Scotland from England or further abroad? Has there been any increases in traction in that regard or have you seen the market changing in any way? A bit of a bit of both, actually. So I think Edinburgh itself is being viewed as quite a uh, attractive proposition 
post lockdown if that makes sense because you can live um in a residential area relatively centrally in edinburgh and be able to get to your workplace in the city center without uh, having to really go on public transport we don't have a tube system here you know you can walk or cycle pretty much from any of the main residential areas that we cover to the city center so i think a lot of people have moved from london or the south thinking actually edinburgh is quite a nice option from that point of view so we've seen a lot of people returning to edinburgh who maybe have some previous links to scotland and now deciding that they can be here because they don't actually need to be in London anymore. They don't need to be in their office five days a week and perhaps don't ever see themselves having to do that again. So we've seen a big shift from that perspective. And then just within Edinburgh, there's been a lot of people saying, right, I need more space. I want outside space. So there's definitely been an onus on gardens more than ever. I mean, it's always a nice thing to have, but I think we've definitely seen that the easiest thing to sell at the moment is a family house in a popular residential area with a garden, that that is where the market remains as busy as ever. Um, I would say the, the sort of flats market is where we've seen slightly less growth. There has been growth in prices, but just slightly less uh, acute than the, the kind of house with a garden type market, which has been so particularly busy. And in addition to that, we have also seen people moving both from the south of England uh, and from Edinburgh to rural parts of Scotland. And we've definitely seen properties in within, let's say, an hour, hour and a half of Edinburgh selling much more quickly than they would have done pre-coronavirus. So it has definitely had an impact on the rural market as well. And obviously looking forward to the future, obviously things are very unpredictable at the moment and we can't make hugely accurate forecasts. But where do you see the property market in in Edinburgh and Scotland more generally going over the next few months and and how do you see things shaping up? I think we're likely to see a bit of an on-off sort of process with the market, rather like we're seeing on and off with the lockdowns and restrictions. But my feeling is that the underlying demand is very much there. Uh, People wanting to make changes, wanting to move to Edinburgh, wanting to move within Edinburgh, and also wanting to move to rural parts of Scotland. So I suspect the winter months might be more subdued than certainly they have been. But my feeling is that once restrictions are eased, the market will come back very strongly afterwards. But um, we'll just have to see. But essentially, the demand seems to be there and at a greater level than perhaps we've even seen in recent years. To take things back to the start from talking there about the future, I'd love to find out a little bit more about what it was that motivated you to pursue a career in property in the first place. What were those driving forces and why did you decide to pursue this route? It's a good question. Um, I think I always had um, just an innate interest in property. Um, From a very young age, I was dragged around the home counties, uh, having been brought up in London, looking at houses in the country with my parents. So I think maybe that instilled a sort of curiosity and and interest in looking at property brochures, looking at country life and going on on viewings and looking at other people's properties. Um, And I think it maybe started from there. I I didn't set out at university with a career in property in mind, but quite quickly it began to feel like the right choice. And maybe having done a history of art degree, which also included history of architecture, it all kind of started cementing my kind of interest in houses, properties, architecture, um, and it felt like a good fit. And did you ever consider going into any different part of the property industry or was it always sales that you had your eye on? It was always sales and it was always very definitely residential. I think I just couldn't persuade myself that commercial property was for me. And I think that boils down to the difference 
kind of in the interest and the architecture in how people present their houses in the gardens all of that kind of thing you know I, I feel very strongly that you have to enjoy what you're doing enjoy the subject matter and feel genuine enthusiasm for it and I knew that in my heart of hearts I wasn't going to feel that way about commercial buildings. Mm, and you said there that you grew up in London but now you went to the University of Edinburgh and now you work in Scotland and was was that kind of a coincidental thing did you go to Union Edinburgh and decide that this is where you wanted to be or did you ever consider going back to London? Oh, no, I did go back to London. So I um, I came to University in Edinburgh, just like lots of people do from the South. Um, and I have to say that was probably led by my sister having been here and having had an amazing time and visits that I'd made to her while she was here. I just, it was the only city I wanted to go to university and I would have done any course probably in order to get to Edinburgh. I, I was always very struck by how beautiful it was and what a fun place it was to be. Um, so after that, I went back to London with a view to getting a job and, and having a life in London, I guess. And then as the years went by, uh, despite having been brought up in London, I realised that perhaps it wasn't where I wanted to spend the rest of my life. Um, and I think that was increased once I got married and we started to think about the prospect of children. Um, so we started to think about, wouldn't it be amazing to be in Scotland? Both my wife and I have kind of family connections to Scotland anyway. So it wasn't completely random. And we'd both been at university here and we knew we loved the city. So ultimately, we kind of kept an eye on it. And I'm actually almost more by chance I heard about the opportunity in Edinburgh and I just picked up the phone and made the call and it kind of went from there but I was I was already um, working for Douglas and Gordon in in London and had been for five years and actually was beginning to uh, apply for interviews with Knight Frank in the Chelsea and Knightsbridge office I met various people in those offices so it was really it just the opportunity happened to come at a moment where we were kind of tempted to move north and then it just happened and went from there so yeah we've never looked back. And what was it about Edinburgh in particular that made you make that decision over London? What was it that really kind of was the, no in the coffin's the wrong word, but like the the impetus there to to go and make that move? I think if anyone who's been to Edinburgh, they, it's very obviously an incredibly beautiful city, um, but I also really like the ease of access out of Edinburgh. Uh, it, what's nice is you can stand on George Street and look at the green fields across the 4th Estuary in Fife or the Pentland Hills to the south of Edinburgh. There's just not a claustrophobic sense of being trapped in a, a very urban environment. It, it's a very uh, easy city to get out of um, and you've got beautiful scenery really close by. So you get to have a very nice balance between an urban cosmopolitan life with, you know, Edinburgh very much punches above its weight from a um, cultural point of view. But then you also have that access to the countryside as well, which is really, I think, what what has always really appealed to me. But but also mainly it's just a very beautiful, nice place to live. Mm, and when you first made the move, what were the big differences you noticed in terms of the property markets between the two? Did you find it a difficult transition or was it fairly similar and quite easy to adapt to? Oh, it was... It had its, it had its definite differences. Um, the way things are done here, without wanting to be disparaging, I felt that a lot of the sort of service levels were quite poor in, in Edinburgh. And actually, before I started working for Knight Frank and before other agents in town began to know who I was, I actually went around and registered with all the other property firms um, as an applicant. And it was incredibly revealing about how you got handled, how you got kind of dealt with as a you know, customer. And it was pretty poor. Um, the service levels were absolutely non-existent. And there's also a difference in Edinburgh, or in Scotland generally, quite a lot of the emphasis on like doing properties and showing homes is uh, is left to the owners. Um, a lot of property in Scotland, so about 75% of properties are sold by their solicitors. So they're primarily solicitors, but with a property selling 
department. So it's not their main business, whereas obviously Knight Frank is all about selling property. So the, it, it's, it becomes almost more like a listing service with then all the rest of the hard work really being put on the, the, the client, really, to do the showings. So it wasn't very difficult to carve out a point of difference um, in Scotland or in Edinburgh by saying we provide a much more hands-on service and we don't charge for that benefit of doing viewings. And quite quickly, we were able to distinguish ourselves from the competition in a way that you wouldn't have been able to in England because, or in London, that, that's standard practice. So you know, there, there were benefits. But when I also moved in 2011 when the London property market was beginning to soar back to strength, whereas it was still much more turgid in Edinburgh. It took a much longer time to come out of the financial crisis um, and to really get going again. So it, was, it had its challenges, but it was very interesting to, to learn the differences. Mm, and I'm really interested in that point you made about researching other property firms and what you were saying about kind of it being solicitors rather than firms like Knight Frank in, in Scotland and Edinburgh and looking at how they provide that customer experience. Was that something that then informed the way that you handled your role at Knight Frank? Did you think, okay, this is how definitely not to do it and this is how I shall kind of carve out that USP and make sure that we are the, providing the best customer experience in the city? Yes, absolutely. It struck me as a golden opportunity and um, to, 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 to when speaking to potential clients to make that very obvious point of difference um, and it was a bit of a an easy goal in many ways because it fails from coming from London where the service levels are very important and are, are, were very high anyway from the firm I used to work with or at Knight Frank um, to be able to really point that out and it was amazing that potential clients would say oh gosh that's incredible so you'll do all the viewings and you won't charge for it you know it was actually something they were genuinely surprised and continue to be surprised so no, no, definitely. It was a very conscious thought to make sure that the team I was working in distinguished itself in that way and provided a much better customer service than the market in general does. Mm, and in those early few years, kind of working in Edinburgh, being in that completely new market, aside from the whole thing around customer experience that we've just spoken about, what were the biggest lessons you learned and what, what kind of skills did you find that you built in those really early years in Edinburgh that you still implement now? Well, firstly, it was a, it was a case of really getting to know the patch and really understanding how people like things to be done and learning the differences. But I think I don't think it's it's not such a distinction from any other UK market. Um, people like to be handled and spoken to in the way that you would, if that makes sense. I, I, I think there's a lot of um, very salesy, very state agency chat that goes on. And again, my my kind of focus has been on really just giving normal, straightforward advice, being friendly, being positive, but not schmoozing people, not giving people kind of corny sales patter. I really think people find it refreshing still when you just speak to people in a straightforward, normal, friendly, conversational way. Um, and I think that's true anywhere across the UK. And I think it's something that Night Frank does very well in general. Mm, and on this podcast, we talk a lot about the importance of listening and trust and honesty with clients. And, and from what you were saying there, that's something that's weaved through that notion of making sure that you're not acting in the typical salesman way. Do you think that those traits are something that you really value and that you try and implement when you're kind of working with clients in your day-to-day -day work? Yes, and I think the longer you've been working in this business, the longer you feel confident to, to do that. I mean, I've worked through now, obviously, the financial crisis in 2008, a challenging market in Edinburgh. Um, we've had various bumps in the road too since I moved to Edinburgh. We've had independence referendums. We've had changes from stamp duty to 
the Scottish equivalent, which is called Land and Building Transaction Tax. We've had general elections, Brexit, all sorts of things that have thrown up challenges that made the market not entirely straightforward and often more so in Scotland than, the, than in England, because there's obviously the other element, which is the independence debate, which can cause uncertainty in the market. And all of this is great you know, practice, really, to be able to have very straightforward, honest conversations with people. Um, and I also think as a young negotiator, it's very tempting sometimes to avoid the difficult conversations or to maybe not disclose things that are complicated or, you know, that you're concerned about. And very quickly, I learned that you're much better just to be completely upfront, take things head on, uh, because everything will come out in a wash in the end. And it's just much easier if, if everything is handled head on and they're sort of confident and sort of steady way. Mm, and so to somebody at the start of their property career, who kind of sees your trajectory or listens to this conversation and thinks, I really want to be getting into, into property, I want to be getting into sales, what advice would you give to them? I would say that if you're le- wanting to be a sales agent, um, there is no better way that to learn your trade than in a busy urban market. When I'm recruiting um, for Edinburgh, I pounce on uh, CVs that come in where people have had experience in maybe London or other big cities. Um, I have a very, um, very good colleague called Emma Marshall who used to work in in Brighton and again you've got a big busy uh, market there and I just knew that she would have a sort of wealth of experience so I, I think finding somewhere that you can get a lot of experience lots of transactions under your belt and really learn your your trade is is a good start um, and then you can move on to anything from there afterwards that's that's always a I've always felt that was a, a good place to be and otherwise as I said just be straightforward don't leave any stones unturned and don't don't leave things that you think might be problematic down the line because if you think they are they almost certainly will be and you're better just to sort them out and a lot of the time when it comes to property there is this idea and you've spoken about it a little bit before when we're talking about the kind of typical estate agent people tend to see them as very kind of extroverted and loud and it's all about kind of like that gift of the gab thing do you think that you need to be an incredibly extroverted confident loud person in order to succeed in the sales side of property or do you think that there's room for kind of that nuance and that breadth of personalities within the industry oh i think absolutely i think no i think most people don't actually really like a sort of bulldozer who's likes the sound of their own voice more than they like listening um i think that you know the industry is populated with a lot of that sort of character um but we all know that people like you know, they like people to empathise, they like people to listen, they like people to respond to the things they've actually said. Um, and no, I, I think definitely it's it's an important element. So it, there's room for a mixture of personalities. People like positivity, they like energy, but they also like people to be considered, to be thoughtful, um, to do what they say they're going to do and to have that degree of kind of detail and, and finish as well. So um, well, the people, for example, in my team that I've built over the last nine years are have a bit of both. There's definitely the ability to converse with people nicely and to be friendly and charming, um, but also to be kind of thorough and efficient and, you know, get the, get the detail right too. And to move on to your particular career trajectory, you started off as an associate in our Edinburgh office. And since then, you've moved on to be partner and the office head. And now you head up the Scottish residential division. How have you found escalating and going up the ranks relatively quickly? And 
what's been that career trajectory in terms of how you've adapted to it and how have you found kind of being at each rung of the ladder? Yes, I mean, it's, it's, it, it is interesting and it does change. So I moved as a sort of negotiator from Douglas and Gordon London to effectively a negotiator in, in Scotland, albeit as an associate, but, you know, doing looking after clients, doing sales and really managing my own kind of portfolio properties. And then obviously it changes when you're running the team, which I did looked after the Edinburgh City sales team before becoming office head. And each role does change. And, and, and you realise that a lot of the time gets spent with the management of other people. Uh, and that, I think that's the biggest difference. It's the amount of time that you have to invest in managing the team, speaking to people, making sure everyone's happy, uh, you know, supporting everybody. Um, and whether that's in the Edinburgh City team or the New Homes team or the country team, um, you know, there's a lot to think about. But yeah, I think I think that's the main difference. It's, 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 it's the, the management element is um, really important and constantly thinking about have you got the right dynamics, the right team, the the right setup to move forward and keep expanding the business and uh, and moving forward. But I think that's that's clearly the biggest difference. And on a kind of practical level, how do you go about managing so many different teams across the whole of Scotland? How, how do you find that? And what do you implement to make sure that you're successful at doing that? Well, I'm lucky in that although we cover the whole of Scotland in terms of the rural teams, the city teams, the borders office and things, we are mainly focused on being inhabiting the Edinburgh office so a lot of it is done from Edinburgh HQ so we have I have a lot of access to the team we're here we spend a lot of time together obviously less so at the moment uh, but uh, everyone is here and I'm also very lucky to have a pretty self-sufficient team Neil Scott who runs the new homes team he and I've worked together for a very long time now and um, I know that he is incredibly driven really busy and, and able of, of managing his own part of the business too so although we touch base regularly I don't have to worry about him not doing what he needs to do you know there's a, a lot of trust and confidence in in the other members of the team throughout the business so a lot of it is I'm lucky to have such a good bunch of people to work with and people who we have so much fun with um, but otherwise it's you know regular catch-ups we obviously have appraisals one-to-ones all of those things that everyone does but no I'm very lucky to have uh, a team that are very sort of self-starting and um, and energetic. And what would you say are the trickier parts of being a manager on a kind of personal level? How do you find it? Do you ever tackle any kind of imposter syndrome? Do you find that you're you're quite good at making difficult decisions on yeah on a personal level? What, what is being a manager like for you? I mean, it definitely highs and lows because you have the, the 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 good bits of you know employing new people, seeing people develop their careers, promoting people bonuses, all of that kind of things, which is which is great and, and really rewarding to see people please. And then obviously at the other end of the spectrum, you have more complicated uh, times where perhaps people don't pass their probation, things haven't worked out as well as you'd hoped. Um, you know, difficult uh, times with from an HR point of view. And that is, you know, it is difficult and it is stressful. And obviously when you work in a small team a long way away from head office, you know, we're very close knit. So any decisions like that really affect the whole team um, and can be, yeah, can be tough to deal with. But obviously, it is part of being a manager. It is part of being, um, you know, climbing the ladder at any firm like Knight Frank. So it has to be done. And we're lucky to have the support of the, the, the kind of more senior management in London and HR. But yeah, always, always tough and never, never the most fun element. Uh, but, but highs and lows definitely. Mm. And to touch a little bit more on the property side of things, because I know that everyone who listens to this podcast loves hearing about incredible houses and some of the houses that we have in Scotland are definitely incredible. 
what is your favorite part of the kind of more property side of your role? And are there any stories or experiences you've had where you've sold amazing homes that you'd like to touch a little bit more on? Well, from my day-to-day job, in uh, my my direct remit in terms of transactional work is still in the Edinburgh market. So I'm lucky to, to to deal with the kind of prime end of the Edinburgh housing market. And there has been one or two that definitely stand out uh, as being um, particularly amazing. I mean, the architecture and the properties in Edinburgh are phenomenal. So the Georgian Newtown is stunning. You have all these big kind of five, six, seven thousand square foot Georgian townhouses. And then you also have amazing big Victorian villas just in the slightly more uh, sort of suburban area, just around the city centre. But there was one in a, in a really pretty Georgian square called Saxe Coburg Place a few years ago, uh, which I think was well, has been the sort of best deal of my career so far. It was a really nice client. Um, they were moving up to uh, Aberdeenshire and it was a really lovely house, uh, not newly refurbished only, but a full Georgia townhouse, but it had this unbelievable garden, the biggest garden I've seen in any kind of townhouse and went on and on and on, and incredible views. It just was, for me, the kind of dream city centre house. It, the, the location was stunning, um, and the house had, had such potential, and the garden was epic. Um, and, and actually, uh, the response to it was quite phenomenal. We ended up at a sort of sealed bid with eight offers um, after about three weeks of marketing. And it ended up going for £700,000 over the asking price, which was just unheard of. Um, so, yeah, the clients were absolutely delighted. It was a beautiful house. We had an amazing uh, re- reaction, an amazing result. And, um, yeah, the client ended up hugging me in the street and saying, you've made all of our dreams come true. So you can't get much better than that in terms of feedback. It was definitely a highlight. Amazing. That's such a good story. And to somebody who has never been to Edinburgh before and might not even be looking at property in Edinburgh, but just is going, is interested in the city, wants to find out a little bit more, what sort of things about Edinburgh make it so incredible to you? Well, I think the fact that you can live within such easy reach of the, of the city centre. So if you stood on Princes Street or at the castle, you could walk to Newtown in 10 minutes. And that right there, you have hundreds of Georgian flats and townhouses and you know it's just it's the access it, it's just phenomenal the, the the ease of getting around and how easy it is to to live somewhere that gives you easy walking or cycling distance to the city centre but no I mean if you were a visitor to Edinburgh you would go to you don't know all the all the kind of central bits like the old town the Royal Mile the the really beautiful kind of historic city centre but there's also really lovely pockets like Brunsfield and Stockbridge which are slightly more villagey have more kind of independent coffee, coffee shops and restaurants and have a much a sort of more charming uh, atmosphere but again within very easy reach of um, of town you're still only kind of 15-20 minutes away by foot right to the city centre from these areas so I mean there's no there's lots of places where you could get a really interesting different flavour of the, of the city. And when people are coming to you looking for a home in Edinburgh, what sort of things are they looking for? What are the key things that you're trying to find to people when they're looking for homes in that area? Oh, all sorts, because people say, for example, you've got a London buyer who's moving up because work's bringing them to, to Edinburgh. A lot of them will straight away zone in on Newtown because they want, that's what they know. It's what everyone visualises of Edinburgh. It's the big Georgian facades within a stone's throw of the city centre but sometimes they then vary because they realise that actually there's a, you, you have a house over four or five floors and if you've got small children that can be a lot of running up and down stairs so they then start to look at the more lateral villas that give amazing space with big gardens and off-street parking things like that so they really vary um, but yeah I mean the flats market is the same Newtown there's a lot of 
good flats on the south side too in the marchment area but it really depends um on what kind of purchase you're dealing with but um yeah we we tend because of the properties we deal with we tend to get people looking for the sort of prime residential areas like newtown the west end and then across the south side sort of murkiston morningside that kind of thing but um no huge variety and you're one of our, our big proponents of social media. You use it regularly to promote yourself and to promote the properties that you're you're working on. Why did you decide to focus on social media and why do you see it as a valuable string to your bow when it comes to working in sales and engaging with your clients and promoting your properties? Well, to start with, it was a bit of an unknown. We were encouraged to do it. So I thought, why not? And I was already a user of social media to some degree um, anyway. Um, but the more I've done it, the more we see the benefit. And I think particularly with LinkedIn, um, I now have quite a big audience within the kind of Edinburgh area. Um, and when we launch properties, we get people responding, uh, saying they want more information, they'd like a viewing, can you send a home report? Um, so I really think it's it, the proof's in the pudding. And so the more you, the more success you get from it, the more um, you're encouraged to do it. Instagram is a little bit less... Um, obvious uh you have a, a, an audience that's scattered all over the world really um and so it's slightly less clear as to, to where the direct benefit of that is but it's um it's all good profile building and i'm sure as time goes by more people will use it to to kind of connect with estate agents and you know it's all a bit it's very visual and we're lucky to have such sort of stunning houses to to post and you alluded there to um, viewings and things that have been booked as a result of, say, LinkedIn posts or Instagram posts. Have you ever had any direct transactions as a result of a social media post or have you found a new client as a result of it? What are the kind of successes that you've had through social media? Oh, definitely. I've had people say, I've seen you're very active on LinkedIn, which I've been really impressed by. Uh, we'd love you to come and look at our house. I can't think of an actual example, but I, that's a conversation I've I've had people several times over the last couple of years, particularly. Um, and in terms of a sale, um, I can't, again, think of a specific example, but the amount of uh, link sharing and, you know, how LinkedIn people sort of just link a name and it gets sent to somebody they know. So that's that's what's so interesting. It gets spread by people saying, oh, you know, go blogs, you should look at this. And, and then they come to you and, and ask for the details. So at the moment, there's a house I've launched, which is a really prime beautiful house in the south of Edinburgh um, and there's two or three people wanting to see it based on the LinkedIn post that we've done because we haven't done any other marketing it's only been Instagram and and LinkedIn like a sort of preview and we've got a handful of people already keen to see it and that's a, a prime house for about three and a half million. Oh amazing that's so exciting and I think you're right it is social media is ultimately a I mean I am biased working in it myself but I think it's it's one of those platforms where it's all about engaging with people and people try to say oh what what can you quantify as a result of this post but actually it's the connections you gain and it's the the way that you engage with people that's actually more important with it. Yes, I think it's what you stand to lose if you don't do it. I, I'm a I'm a, a big believer in not wanting to get left behind. As as I now I've now reached the grand old age of forty, um, I, and I have two small children. I don't want to be the guy who doesn't who, who kind of scoffs at new technology and and can't cope with it. So I'm I'm very eager to keep abreast of the changes and the development of technology and social media, so that you don't become kind of left behind and and, and unable to to kind of use these tools and, and as well as with having children I want to be able to understand what they're doing because we all know that social media can come, comes with pitfalls when it comes to children uh, and so I want to be able to understand what it is they're doing and not feel like I'm, I'm, I'm left out of the, of the scene. 
Yeah, definitely. I know. I even as I've got older, my my little sisters kind of doing different types of social media to me. I'm like, oh goodness me, I've got so much to keep up with. It's trying to join all the platforms to try and keep up to date with everything. Um, and to divert the conversation slightly, um, this podcast is called At Home With. So I'd love to find out a little bit more about your home and what it was that you were looking for when you picked your home, and what is it you love so much about it now? Well, we had a nine-week-old baby when we moved to Edinburgh um, and there was one thing that we definitely wanted which was to be very central because we we kind of thought if we're moving from London to Edinburgh we want to be in Edinburgh to be able to enjoy the city and all that it has to offer but we also had that kind of family element kicking in too so therefore wanted a garden and wanted enough space so that those were the, the sort of driving elements as to why where we live now is 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 ideal and actually we're we, you know we are very happy there and, and have no real plans to move um it's it, it's been fun to kind of adapt and evolve the house my wife as i mentioned earlier runs an interior design business um having worked for um a, a well-known interior designer in london um so she's had fun being able to adapt and create uh her own home and her own style there too um so yeah, no, it, it was all about being in the right location, but also having the garden. So it's meant for us that we're in a kind of we're in the bottom two floors of a townhouse, um, which gives us the garden. Um, and yeah, we're we're very close to the city centre in a in a nice street in Newtown. And what's your favourite part about the house? Which room do you find yourself gravitating to the most? Oh, the kitchen. I think like everybody else probably these days, um, we we the kitchen was the one thing we really changed when we moved in. The flat had a tiny kitchen and five bedrooms which you didn't really need to have so the we moved the kitchen to what was a bedroom and knocked out a, a bathroom and a kind of walk-in wardrobe to create a much bigger space um and yeah my wife put, you know put in a really beautiful kitchen with a firm that she works with a lot in Edinburgh so it, yeah it's just it's it's the one room that's really truly ours if that makes sense so we created that and I think like most uh, modern families, that's kind of where everyone gravitates to. But the other thing that I particularly love about the flat is, is the garden. Um, and I think more than ever, uh, you know, during lockdown, um, having a garden has been, has felt like an enormous um, privilege, really, an enormous benefit. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time kind of making a garden as nice as I can. Um, that's my remit. That's my domain. The inside of the house is very much my wife's thing with the interior. So I'm allowed a bit more kind of free reign in the garden. <laughs> you can kind of get those creative juices flowing outside. Yeah. And if you've had a, if you've had a bad day, you can always hack down a shrub or <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> and um and is that kind of how you find your work-life balance what is it for you that you do to make sure that you're kind of switching off at the end of the day making sure you have got that distinction between your work life and your personal life well I mean having small children doesn't give you much time to do much uh recreational stuff in my experience but um yeah the, the garden is definitely an element of that um I've got a dog as well so there's always the uh, the walking dog which is good time out you you know you have to it was actually one of the reasons we, we got a dog actually because it kind of forces you out into the fresh air um to take some exercise and just to have a bit of time away from from work and the screen and things so um yeah mainly those things um and a bit of bit of running bit of cycling but but mainly kind of sort of walking hanging out with children being in the garden very keen on cooking so yeah lot, lots of bits of bobs to unwind with 
Amazing. And we spoke a little bit about properties that you've worked on or properties that you have on the market at the moment. Is there anything in particular that you've got kind of on the Edinburgh offices books that you're particularly excited about and would like to give us a little bit more information on? Well, the one that I mentioned, which is coming, is is really exciting. It's not on the currently on our website, but it's due to launch the minute we are out of lockdown. And it is a really epic house. It's about 9,000 square feet detached Victorian villa in a huge garden. Um, and it is just a really unbelievable house. It's right at the top of the Edinburgh property market. Um, it's got an incredible kind of the kitchen extension. The kitchen is basically the size of a tennis court. It's enormous um, and incredible master bedroom in what used to be the original drawing room in the house and his and hers bars and an amazing, amazing big garden. So I'm really looking forward to marketing that one because it's um, it'll be probably the most kind of prestigious or the, the, the most prime for want of a better exp- expression most prime house that comes to the market this year I imagine so that one I'm really looking forward to amazing that's so exciting and we'll make sure that we put a link to that property in the show notes of this episode so everyone can go and have a look on the website even if they they're not going to be buying in Edinburgh I know everybody loves looking at some fancy houses on the internet So we begin to wrap up every podcast with a quick fire round. And the first question of which is city or country? Oh, city. Classic or contemporary? Classic. Penthouse or townhouse? Townhouse. Call or email? Call. Office or working from home? Office. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Princes Street or the Royal Mile? The Royal Mile. Walk or run? Walk. And finally, Arthur's Seat or Coulton Hill? Arthur's Seat. Amazing, that was so quick. That was so much quicker than most people do this on here. <laughs> Normally everyone's like, oh, I know which, which quite which one I'm going to go. I'm going with both. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, city or country, I could definitely have gone for both. But I think as I represent the Edinburgh City market, I better stick to my, stick to my audience. <laughs> and the final question that we ask everybody on the podcast is what does being a partner in property mean to you it means particularly at the moment i think um it's it's made it even clearer that the advice you give to your clients um needs to be the advice that you would give to your friends and family um and that you want to guide people as best you can particularly through difficult circumstances so uh, from, from my point of view it's really just looking after people in the way that you would want to be treated and giving genuine and straightforward advice uh, whether it's on a, on a kind of short-term basis with an immediate transaction or you know a longer relationship that you foster over the years brilliant edward thank you so much not so pleasure Thanks so much for listening to this episode of At Home With. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you shared this episode on social media, and please check out the show notes for more information. I'll be back next Wednesday with another exciting episode.